welcome to Buffy and the Art of Story Season 2. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. I am Lisa M. Lilly, author of the Awakening Supernatural Thriller series and the QC Davis Mysteries and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. This Monday, we're talking about The Dark Age, Season 2, Episode 8. I'll cover external conflict that tells the personal story between Buffy and Giles, whether this is a coming-of-age story, and what goes into a protagonist, because we have key stories happening for both Buffy and Giles. As always, there will be no spoilers, except at the end to talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. The Dark Age was written by Rob Desotel and Dean Batali, and directed by Bruce Seth Green. We start, as we should, with conflict. A man in a suit hurries across the darkened schoolyard. He asks a custodian where to find Rupert Giles. The custodian tells the man that Giles is the librarian and directs him to the library. This is a nice way to establish, through conflict, for new audience members who Giles is. Why do I say it's through conflict? Because the man is clearly distressed as he is hurrying across the schoolyard. He's very anxious to reach Giles. A woman appears and shuffles toward the man. Her eyes flash and her face is decaying. And he says, Deidre? And she says, Philip. This, too, good way to get names in through conflict. Philip bangs on the door as Deidre moves closer. But inside the library, music is blasting. Buffy in workout clothes is doing step aerobics, something, as best I recall, was fairly popular at the time. I have to agree with Giles, who is holding his ears, that the music is just noise. Specifically, he says uh, it's not music because it has no notes. And Buffy says she needs a beat to aerobicize. Outside, Deidre reaches Philip and starts to strangle him. He falls to the ground, and her body sort of melts to the ground and turns into this shadow that oozes out toward him. That is at 2 minutes 41 seconds in. It's a great hook, and we go to the credit. So usually our story spark or inciting incident, the event that sets off the story, comes about 10% into an episode, a book, or a movie. Usually in Buffy, that's around four and a half minutes in because most episodes are about 43 minutes. Here, though, I think this moment of Deidre choking Philip before he could reach Giles and then this shadow reaching Philip, all of that, I think, is the inciting incident because it sets off our main plot here. After the credits... We see flashes of symbols and tattoos, long-haired guys with tinted uh, glasses, and we hear screaming, Giles awakens. This could also be the story spark because it tells Giles that the demon we will learn later is called Igon has returned. 
But I see that more as simply giving Giles information. As I'll talk about later on, this is primarily Buffy's story. So what sets this off is that plot development with Igon being passed from Deidre to Philip. Though technically, I suppose the story spark started before this episode began with whatever it is that brought Igon back in the first place. Willow and Buffy are at the school in the sun. They are playing anywhere but here, a game where they tell each other stories about where they would rather be. Xander appears and joins the game, and the three joke about whether Giles ever played this game. Xander is certain the answer is no, and that Giles is still bitter about there being only 12 grades in school. Buffy says Giles probably sat in math class thinking that there should be more math. Giles joins them and he tells her about a delivery of blood to the hospital. Buffy says vamp meals on wheels. Giles seems concerned she's not taking it seriously enough. And Buffy says, have I ever let you down? Giles says, do you want me to answer that or should I just glare? This is a great quick back and forth that emphasizes the nature of their relationship. He is the adult, the parent, telling Buffy what needs to be done and pointing out that she needs to take it seriously. And yes, she has on occasion let him down, though they are joking so we know that this is overall a good relationship. Jenny joins them. Uh, She says she's holding a class reviewing computer basics on Saturday and Willow's assisting her. Xander makes fun of the students who have to attend until he finds out he's one of them and Cordelia is the other. When Jenny and Giles are alone, Giles asks if she wants to go out that weekend. And she says no, she'd like to stay in. They kiss as the bell rings. In the library, having had a nice moment with Jenny, Giles now faces a serious obstacle, police. They are in the library and they tell him there is, there was a homicide on campus the night before. The victim had Giles' name and address on a piece of paper in his pocket. Uh, These days, I suppose it would be on uh, the guy's phone. Cordelia comes in through the doors and says, evil just compounds evil, doesn't it? But she is not talking about the homicide, which she knows nothing about. She's talking about having to go to computer class tomorrow and, on top of it, to get a book for it. And she says, there are books on computers? Isn't the point of computers to replace books? She sees the police, and Giles is quite irritated with her when she tries to get one of them to fix a bogus ticket. And he says, Cordelia. And she says, why does everyone always say her name like that? I can take a hint. What's the hint? He tells her the hint is to come back later. At the morgue, Giles identifies Philip's body and admits that he knows him. He says they haven't spoken in 20 years, that they were friends back in London. But he claims he doesn't know anything about the unusual tattoo on Philip's arm, though that is one of the symbols that we saw in Giles' dream. At 10 minutes 16 seconds in, Buffy waits outside the hospital. Giles is a no-show. She sees the vampires who meet the van bringing in the blood. She fights them. 
Angel appears from nowhere to help her. And when she asks how he knew, he says everyone knows about delivery day. She tasks him with getting the blood to safety because she's worried about Giles, who is late. At first, Angel downplays her worries about Giles, but she points out he is never late for anything. This Angel appearance serves two purposes. One, it gives a reason for us to see Angel, to remind us that he is around and he is important. I also see it as a way to get Buffy's worries about Giles out there and to make clear how unusual this is for Giles. If you're a regular watcher, you would know that already. But with network TV at the time, people often jumped in and out of a season or they might just start watching in the middle. So this is a good way to inform new audience members. And it also tells us Buffy's thoughts in a way that you can't otherwise do on television. In a novel, you could simply show Buffy's thoughts. However, uh, one of the writing classes I took, the instructor, and I wish I could recall who it was, said, cut out all the scenes where a character sits and thinks. There's just not enough happening there. So even in a novel, having this other character there to create a small amount of conflict who disagrees with the protagonist or even you know strongly disagrees, either way, it's a good way to bring out a protagonist's thoughts or our character's thoughts. One caveat, in a novel, I wouldn't bring in a brand new character just to walk on and do that because adding more characters gives your reader more to remember and think about. But if you have a character like Angel who is ongoing, uh, who the reader or the audience member already knows, that can be a good character to do that with. So we are now moving toward our first major plot turn. It usually comes about a quarter of the way through a book or a movie, which is why I think of it as the one quarter twist. In um, TV, it sometimes comes a bit later. Here it is about 12 minutes, 47 seconds in. Giles answers the door looking rumpled when Buffy goes to see him. And something we have never ever seen before, his tie is loose. With anyone else, no big deal. With Giles, very disturbing to Buffy. He forgot about the hospital, even more disturbing. And he's very vague about what he's doing, though he does ask Buffy if she was hurt. When he's sure she's not, he tells her he'll see her Monday and basically slams the door in her face. Um, that shutting of the door on her, I see as the one-quarter plot turn. From this moment on, Buffy will move forward in a new direction. This came from outside of her. Usually that first plot turn should come from outside the protagonist, spin her in a new direction. Here that direction is figuring out what is wrong with Giles. Before we follow Buffy though, we see Giles on the phone. He looks very distraught. He apologizes to the person who answered, saying he knows it's 5 a.m. there, but he's looking for Deidre. He learns that she died. He tells the person they were friends when they were young. Now he uh, crosses off Deidre's name on a handwritten list of five people. Only two are left. Ethan Rain, who we saw in Halloween, and Giles. Giles rolls up his sleeve and looks at his tattoo, a match for the one we saw on Philip. And he looks in the mirror and says to his reflection, 
So you're back. At the morgue, Philip opens his eyes and takes the sheet off himself. His eyes flash. And he will uh, attack the morgue attendant the next time we see him. On Saturday morning, Jenny is opening up the computer lab. She's wearing a sweater and pants. I am pretty sure we have never seen her wearing anything but a skirt before. And I don't think we'll ever see her wear pants again. I think this is most likely to accommodate the stunt person later because there will be stunts. Also, that person is larger than Jenny, and it adds to this unsettling feeling when this demon takes over because the demon looks a bit like Jenny and is wearing Jenny's clothes. Buffy interrupts the computer tutorial to talk to Jenny. She is worried about Giles. So this is what I mean by now Buffy is going in this new direction. She's trying to find out what's wrong with Giles. She tells Jenny about the night before and adds that Giles was drinking alone and everyone more or less gasps. Personally, I'm more worried about his tie, but clearly not very Giles-like. Buffy asks if anyone else noticed anything strange about Giles. Cordelia says no, he seemed normal when he was talking to the police. And after a few more questions, she says, oh, she thinks it was about a homicide. Everyone is a bit irked at her, to say the least, that she didn't think to mention this before. Buffy goes to the library to call Giles, but someone is lurking in the stacks. It's Ethan Rain. He tries to push a bookcase down on her. She corners him and recognizes him as the person who sold her the dress and almost got everyone killed on Halloween. And she punches him. Buffy threatens to call the police for him trespassing, but he tells her that Rupert will need to answer so many questions. He also says he and Giles go way back and asks if she knows where Giles is. There's a cut, we see these disturbing dreams again, and a ringing phone wakes Giles up. He has his head down on his desk, so has apparently passed out there. I love this phone. It's an old-fashioned dial phone that is sitting there on the desk. Um, I'm pretty sure at that point only my parents still had dial phones, although theirs were even more classic. They were wall-mounted. Of course, Giles would still have this type of phone. It is Buffy calling him. He tries to tell her he'll see her Monday, but she says, what's the mark of Igon? When he realizes Ethan is there, Giles tells her she has to get away. She is in grave danger. At 21 minutes in, Philip bursts into the library. Either of these two things could be that reversal that we often see at the midpoint of a well-structured story. Buffy finding out she's in great danger because of something connected to Giles, and Philip coming in at that moment could be a sort of reversal for her. But Buffy fights these types of, uh, or all types of monsters all the time. I think the real reversal comes just a little bit later. Buffy fights Philip and kicks him into the book cage and locks him in. Xander, Willow, Jenny, and Cordelia have come into the library. Buffy yells at them not to let Ethan get away, and they stop him. Willow says Philip looks dead, though he's walking and moving. And Ethan confirms that, yes, Philip is dead. Giles arrives and says, it can't be. And Ethan says, 
Hello, Ripper. Then we have a nice moment that very quickly gives us a little backstory. Cordelia, why did he call him Ripper? Giles grabs Ethan by the back of the head, lifts him out of the chair, and says he told him to leave town. And Cordelia says, oh. Ethan tells Giles that he's having the dreams, and they both know what's coming. Here we are getting to what I see as the midpoint reversal. At 22 minutes, 45 seconds in, Philip breaks out of the cage. Buffy kicks him. He falls, and his body sort of melts the way Deidre's did. And that shadow oozes toward Jenny, who was knocked out in the fight and is lying on the floor. This is a significant reversal, despite that we don't know when it happens that Jenny has now been infected just as Philip was. Ethan gets away during the chaos. Jenny wakes up. She seems out of it. She and Giles hug and he comforts her. Her eyes flash, but no one else sees. This tells the audience that the reversal happened. This is another example of dramatic irony, which we saw in previous Buffy episodes. That is where the audience knows something that the characters don't. And here we know Jenny is now in danger and is a danger to Buffy and everyone around her, and particularly to Giles, who is taking Jenny home. Buffy wants to know what's happening, but Giles says it's private and it's his battle, not hers. At the midpoint, we often see either this type of reversal for the protagonist or the protagonist fully committing to the quest. And sometimes we see both. Here we see Buffy commit in full to helping Giles. This comes slightly after that reversal and in some ways is triggered by it, though she was already on this path. She is determined. It's 24 minutes, 51 seconds in, determined to help Giles despite him telling her it's not her battle. She tells Willow to research in the books, find out what the mark of Igon is. She tells Xander to go through Giles personal files and look for anything that would shed some light on this. Cordelia then gives her a hopeful look and Buffy kind of stares at her and Cordelia says, what about me? I care about Giles. I love this. I see this as even more evidence that Cordelia truly is part of the group now. The old Cordelia or maybe not old Cordelia, but initially Cordelia would have just left at this time or she wouldn't have stuck around this long in the first place. But she really wants to help, except that Buffy tells her to work with Xander. She hesitates, but Buffy says, do you want to help or not? So she does it. At Giles' apartment, he gives Jenny a drink and apologizes. She more or less tells him it's okay. The two of them are involved and she's part of his world. He says that he's not safe to be around right now and Jenny says nothing is safe in this world, Rupert. At the library, Willow has found information about Igon, a demon known as the Sleepwalker. He can exist only in a dead body or an unconscious person, but the dead body can't handle it and will decompose, which is what we've seen. Also, if Igon stays in an unconscious person too long, the demon takes over for good. At first, the three say it's okay because there was no one dead when Philip disintegrated, but Buffy says no one dead, but someone unconscious. 
Jenny disconnects the phone from the wall. Giles brings her tea, not knowing what she's done. She wants to stay the night and she kisses him. He's hesitant. He doesn't want to take advantage. And now Jenny starts to behave differently. Um, She says he just never changes and she mimics him. It's not right. It's not proper. And she tells uh, Giles, you know, you never had the strength for me. You don't deserve me, but you've got me under your skin. As she is saying this, she is embracing Giles, but also morphing, looking a little bit more and a little bit more like a demon. Her voice changes and becomes very low. And on that under your skin, it sounds um, really frightening, and I found it very disturbing. Obviously, more disturbing for Giles. He fights her off, and Igon says, I'll rip out your stomach. Buffy kicks in the door. She came here in person because she couldn't reach him on the phone. She's able to repel Jenny, or I should say Igon, because it's not really Jenny anymore. But it's partly because Igon kind of shrugs and leaves and says, two to go. This is 30 minutes, 27 seconds in, and Giles says he's sorry to Buffy. And Buffy says, in what I find to be an amazing line, don't be sorry, be Giles. She tries to reassure him that this is what they do. They fight monsters. But Giles says it's different because he created this demon. At the library, Xander has found in Giles' personal files a photo of a long-haired, young-looking Giles holding an electric guitar. These two back-to-back scenes um, I see as the next major plot point. Usually at the three-quarter mark, it spins the story in yet another direction, and it should grow out of our midpoint. Here it comes from both Jenny being possessed, which we saw at that midpoint reversal, and Buffy committing to help Giles. It's a new direction because now Buffy learns at last what's wrong with Giles and she will move forward to stop it and protect him. So we have shifted from figuring out what's wrong to protecting Giles and also saving Jenny. Giles tells Buffy that when he was studying in Oxford, he felt all of this pressure of his destiny to be a watcher. And he dropped out and fell in with the worst people who would take him. They practiced magics. And at first, he says it was small things and it was pleasurable. Then he and Ethan discovered Igon. Their group would do these rituals. One went into a deep sleep and the other summoned Igon. Giles says it was an extraordinary high, but they were so stupid. One of their members died when they tried to exercise the demon from him. Giles thought they were through with Igon after that, but now Igon is back. Giles wants to go with Buffy to try to help Jenny, to try to fight, but she says she has to go alone. He's barely mobile right now, and he'll slow her down. Giles, looking so broken, says he doesn't know what to do, how to stop Igon without killing Jenny. Buffy tells him that everyone is working on a way to save Jenny. She then goes to the costume shop and tells Ethan she is there to help him. It's not for him, it's for Giles. Ethan pretends to be relieved, and to be grateful but he maneuvers himself behind Buffy and knocks her out 
When she wakes up, she's face down on what looks like a massage table. Maybe Ethan just keeps one in the back of the costume shop. He tattoos a symbol on her, telling her it's nothing personal. He likes her, but it's him or her, and he likes himself better. He uses acid to burn his own tattoo off. In the library, Cordelia and Xander are bickering. Willow yells at them. She tells them there's no time for this, their friends are in trouble, and orders them out of her library if they can't cut it out. This reminds me of that scene with Angel and Giles when Willow yells at them that Buffy needs them. I have to think part of why Willow asserts herself the most in this space is that the library is where she feels most confident. This is where she knows her stuff. And also, as we've seen before, Willow is far more apt to intervene forcefully when her friends are in danger than at any other time. Cordelia and Xander look sheepish and apologize. Based on the research, Xander says if only they could get another dead body for Igon to go into. And Willow says that wouldn't kill the demon, just give it a change of scenery. But then she has an idea. Again, we see these flashes or visions that Giles is having. He sees Buffy with the tattoo, the mark of Igon. He knows what Ethan has done. Quick aside, as we, before we get to the climax, when I do my notes, to prepare, I dictate them onto my iPhone. It has a great deal of trouble with the mark of Igon. It has translated it as I-gone, A-I-G, like the insurance company, A-I-G-on, ICON in all caps, I guess like the company, ICON in small letters like a religious icon, also as I can. Also, for some reason, it has trouble with Buffy and wants to call her Duffy all the time. I do a lot of writing using Dragon Naturally Speaking, which learns as you dictate. So it now knows Buffy. It knows all the character names. Um, the iPhone remains uh, puzzled by some of these. So we are at the climax. Igon breaks into the shop. Now he is looking um, as tall or taller than Ethan, broad shoulders, still looking faintly like Jenny and in her clothes, which makes it all the more disturbing. Igon goes after Ethan, but turns to Buffy at the last second, sensing the tattoo. At that same moment, Buffy finally breaks her bonds, is able to get off of that table, and fights Igon. Giles bursts in and says, take me instead. Buffy tries to stop Igon, but Igon sends her flying without even touching her. Igon stands over Giles, who is lying on the floor. Now Angel bursts through the door. Willow and Xander are with him. Angel starts choking Jenny, and Giles is distraught, but Willow tells Buffy and Giles to trust her. It will work. The demon, in peril as Jenny is being choked, jumps into Angel. Angel's face distorts. He's thrown all over from the inside. It's very dramatic. Eventually, Angel passes out. When he opens his eyes, all is calm, and the demon is gone. We're now at 40 minutes, 13 seconds in and into the falling action stage of the story. The climax resolved our main plot. The demon was defeated. Jenny and Giles both saved. And this section of falling action will resolve the loose ends and explain what happened. So Jenny is herself again. Buffy is talking to Willow and says, oh, you knew. You knew that if the demon were in trouble, it would jump to 
to the nearest dead person, which would be Angel. And Angel says he's had a demon inside him for over 100 years just waiting for a good fight. We've heard before that when someone becomes a vampire, the demon takes over the person's body, but that person is gone. Angel, though, had his soul restored. So both apparently coexist within him. So we have this idea of that demon inside Angel. And when he says, you know, that it has been wanting a fight, the implication is maybe it has been fighting Angel or fighting Angel's soul or wanting to, that the soul is somehow suppressing it or it's just been wanting to get out and fight so he figured throw the demon in there and uh, Igon and his demon would be able to prevail over it Ethan has managed to disappear again. We talked about before how he is the trickster. He creates chaos. And here, he did not intentionally create this chaos, at least not now. There isn't any suggestion that Ethan did something to set this off. He seems as worried and taken aback as Giles, although he is willing to sacrifice other people to save himself. But being the trickster... It fits that he gets away. This is so Ethan's character. He didn't hang around to see what happened. He got out. At school the next day, Buffy tells Willow how she was saving money for some very important shoes, and now she has to spend it on tattoo removal. Xander tells Willow she was brilliant. Jenny and Giles inside are talking near the stairs. He asks if she's okay, says he tried to call her. She left the phone off the hook. She tells him she needs a lot of sleep lately. She reassures him she's fine, though she sounds very muted doing so. Um, She says, not running with the wind in your hair. The hills are alive with the sound of music, fine, but she's okay. Giles wants to help. He suggests they get together sometime. She says yes, sometime, and steps up the stairs away from him as she says it. This is a nice moment where the character's actions and her tone show what Jenny really means when she says, uh, okay, sometime that she needs space from him. It's also almost the same conversation Jenny and Giles had at the end of Some Assembly Required. Giles had said he would understand if she didn't want to be around him anymore. Then she reassured Giles, now she is distancing herself. Buffy sees her walk away and asks Giles how Jenny is. And Giles says, the hills are not alive. Buffy says, I'm sorry to hear that, I think. He says that maybe Jenny shouldn't forgive him, but Buffy tells him he should forgive himself. She admits it was scary seeing him that way. She's so used to him being the grown-up. And then I find out you're a person. Who knew? She also tells him that it was a little scary learning that he made mistakes and used bad judgment too. But they have that in common, and she feels all right about learning that. Then she says they should be training. Giles says yes, and she tells him she has the perfect music. And we have this really nice exchange. Buffy, go ahead, say it. You know you want to. Giles, it's not music, it's just meaningless sound. 
Buffy, feel better? Giles, yes, thank you. And that is how the episode closes. I want to still talk about who is the protagonist, Buffy or Giles, whether this is a coming-of-age story, and a little bit about spoilers for the next episode, What's My Line? Before that, though, I have two quick announcements. You might have noticed that I've been phasing in some new music. So thank you very much to Robert Newcastle, my friend, composer, and musician extraordinaire. Also, at the time I'm recording this, Illinois, where I live, has shelter-in-place or lockdown orders due to the efforts to halt the spread of the coronavirus. Knowing that a lot of people are stuck at home, and also libraries, many libraries, are closing. I decided to put the ebook edition of the first book in my Awakening series free so you can get that wherever you like to download books for Kindle, Kobo, Nook, Apple Books, Google Play. It is the first in a four book series. The series is complete. You can also get it on audio and if you get the Kindle version free, if you download it, Amazon generally heavily discounts the audio so that is a good way to get that. Readers call it a um, Dan Brown Da Vinci Code meets Rosemary's Baby. It is about Tara, a college student who becomes pregnant and can't explain it. She has to face a powerful cult that's convinced that she and her future child will trigger an apocalypse. Oh, and I said two announcements. I have one more. Good news for patrons. If you are a fan of Jessica Jones or would just like to hear me do the story structure analysis of the pilot episode you're in luck that was just posted on patreon if you are not already a patron you can join for just a dollar a month go to patreon forward slash lisa m lily that's l-i-s-a-m as in marie l-i-l-l-y and you can hear that discussion Back to the Dark Age. I have not commented on the title. I like it so much because it has more than one level. It seems like a reference to the Dark Ages in human history. In fact, kept thinking it was called the Dark Ages, not the Dark Age. It also can refer to Giles' age at the time that he and his friends summoned Igon. Which is a nice segue to, is this episode a coming-of-age story? Basically, a coming-of-age story chronicles the emotional or mental leap from childhood to adulthood. It is usually emotion-based and not action-based. So I would say that yes and no. We have Buffy learning that Giles is, in her words, a person. So not just a grown-up, not just an authority figure, or more to the point, learning that authority figures and parents, as Giles has a very parent-like role in her life, are also people. They are human beings. So you could see that as a mental or emotional leap to adulthood, but Buffy has already, for the most part, made that leap. She has been pushed into adulthood and responsibility throughout the series to date. Also, this idea of the parent or authority figure as a person, I don't know that that 
always happens. Many people struggle to grasp that about their parents well into their own adulthood. And some people never reach that point. So while certainly that can be part of a coming of age story, I don't know that that is that that is really what we're saying about Buffy here. Finally, coming of age usually is emotion based. It's about the character evolution and it's not action based. Here, as is almost always the case in Buffy, the story, the main plot is action based. It often is a metaphor for telling an emotional story for some kind of character arc or theme, but the plot is about the action, with only one exception that I can think of. So given all that, I see this story as overlapping with coming-of-age stories and overlapping that genre, but I do not see it as primarily a coming-of-age story. However, it is about Buffy protecting Josh and learning that Giles is a person and has a past where he was not always perfect. And that informs the question of who the protagonist is here. Unlike in season one, where I felt confused about who the protagonist was supposed to be in Teacher's Pet, the Praying Mantis episode, here it seems clear to me that Buffy is the protagonist. And this is a great example of how you can still have a significant storyline for another character and see parts of the story through that character's eyes, yet that person is not the protagonist. So our protagonist should have a strong goal that the protagonist actively pursues and the protagonist should be the viewpoint character and have the most at stake. So let's look at how that fits here. The viewpoint character is mainly Buffy. We do get a lot of Giles, but primarily we see this through Buffy's eyes, through her concerns. Um, actually, first her kind of jokes about Giles, how she sees him as uh, someone who was always the way he is now, very um stable and very focused and you know never daydreaming or letting his mind wander or not wanting to be in math class to her fears about Giles to the need to protect him so while we do get other scenes from Giles point of view his visions um, him identifying the body his time with Jenny primarily we are seeing this from Buffy's view Buffy's goal here is to first find out what's wrong with Giles and then that evolves into protecting Giles. This is the main goal that we follow through the story. Giles too is trying to figure out what's going on but he is also dealing with his own distress he is less active in pursuing that goal than Buffy is Buffy is asking questions she's pushing him for answers she's doing research and setting the team to research and organizing them to do it uh, she's actively fighting Giles is more in reaction mode throughout yes he's making phone calls to get information but we see you know him passing out we see him troubled by these dreams afraid he doesn't know how to help Jenny normally he'd be right in the library directing anyone but in part he has 
Well, he has withdrawn. He has isolated himself because he feels so terrible about endangering those around them. And I think that he feels ashamed and embarrassed for his past actions. Those can all be feelings a protagonist can have. Here, though, it keeps Giles from actively pursuing his goal. Who has the most at stake? This is a really interesting question for this episode because Giles, he's the one with the risk, at least through most of the story, of being taken over by Igon. Once Ethan transfers that mark to Buffy, certainly she now has her life at stake as well. But Giles is at risk through the entire episode. So in some ways, he has the most at stake. This is where I go back to what is the story about. The story is about Buffy switching roles with Giles, being the one to be concerned for him, to figure things out for him, to protect him, instead of how it is often the other way around. So in that sense, Buffy has the most at stake because she is in danger of losing that one person that she can always count on, that she relies on and trusts. Her trust in Giles is undermined, at least her trust that he will always be there and will always be the one in the position to protect her. In that sense, In a way, Buffy loses a lot in this episode. She loses that view. You know, you think back when you're a a kid, if, if you were fortunate enough to have parents who did what they should and took care of you, you have that view of your parent as all powerful, as being able to take care of anything and fix anything. And it is such a difficult thing when kids realize that that is not true. And so very hard for parents as well when there's something that they cannot fix for their child. And so here, in a way, Buffy has lost that. She has lost this sense of Giles as, you know, having all the answers. But she has gained something more important, which is a greater understanding of who Giles is, a feeling that um, he is not perfect and that perhaps she can understand him better and she can grasp that maybe he does understand her more than she thinks because he has struggled with some of the same things that she does and has made uh, bad choices and used poor judgment. And in some ways, this is reassuring and it opens and further develops their relationship into that partnership that I talked about in Reptile Boy, where more and more they are working together as opposed to Giles being the one who knows everything and tells her what to do. That is all other than spoilers. If you are not sticking around for spoilers, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you will come back next Monday for What's My Line. Just a couple of spoilers here. One I absolutely never noticed before, Xander and Cordelia bickering. 
I noticed the bickering. I know I did not pick up on the first time around is the chemistry between them. As they are yelling at each other, they are stepping closer and closer together until they are face to face, perhaps uh, inches apart. This is so similar to the scene we will get in What's My Line. Not sure if it's part one or two, but when they have the same type of argument and they finally kiss. So this foreshadows that the reason I'm sure that uh, I didn't pick up on it on first watch is that I remember being completely taken by surprise when that happened in What's My Line. My defense is I was not watching these episodes back to back. I don't remember how long it was it was between the airtime from this episode to What's My Line. All of these um, episodes were stretched out. Sometimes there were breaks in between when other things were on TV or the show was taking a break. So that that's my excuse for not picking up on this. Here it, it really stood out to me. Also, this whole episode really foreshadows the themes in What's My Line. When Buffy will see her friends taking part in this career fair, taking these assessments to um, see what kind of work they might be good at. And for her, it all feels moot because she has this destiny as the Slayer. And she really struggles with that having been imposed on her. Giles tries to help her deal with it. As I remember, he doesn't do a terrific job with that. But I mean, he really tries. But it is a real challenge for her. The Dark Age foreshadows that in that we find out what, how Giles struggled with that and the terrible consequences, maybe in some ways, knowing this about Giles, though I don't believe it's ever explicit in the text, we'll find out next week, but maybe understanding this about Giles helps Buffy in some way. It helps her avoid going down quite as dark a path as Giles did because she sees how the consequences of that were still happening so many years later. That is all for this week. I hope you will join me next Monday for What's My Line Part 1, when in addition to the career fair, we'll also see Spike and Drew step up their plot to heal Drew, which starts with trying to get Buffy out of the way by using some very dangerous assassins. And we will meet a significant new character, Kendra. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at Lisa M. Lilly, L-I-S-A-M as in Marie, L-I-L-L-Y, hashtag Buffy Story, or email me, Lisa at LisaLilly.com. You can also find my fiction, including mysteries and supernatural thrillers, at LisaLilly.com. And you can find articles on writing, time management, and publishing at WritingAsASecondCareer.com. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC, copyright 2020. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you next Monday. 